This is Battleground Ballot Box, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Fowler, and for the last two years, I've been covering how voting works and sometimes how it doesn't. Chaos in Georgia. Some voters waited for hours to cast ballots in yesterday's primary elections. Georgia is a battleground this year. The largest rollout of elections equipment in U.S. history is happening in Georgia. We have been working since the pandemic hit. A disaster in Georgia. This is very unprecedented and I can't, I've been doing this 20 years and I can't wrap my head around everything that needs to be done right now. For years, Republicans have dominated government at the state and federal level, but a rapidly diversifying population, plus a new wave of energy behind 2018 Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, put her within 50,000 votes of becoming the first black female governor in U.S. history. Under the watch of the now former Secretary of State, democracy failed Georgia. That fierce contest between Abrams and then-Secretary of State Brian Kemp was marred by allegations of voter suppression and cemented Georgia's status as a battleground on two fronts, who's on the ballot and how those ballots are counted. As the political reporter for GPB News, I started covering the ins and outs of election administration ahead of that governor's race. While some issues and processes are the same, Georgia's voting landscape looks completely different than it did November 2018. A new Secretary of State took office, lawmakers approved the purchase of a new voting system, new lawsuits have been filed, and a global health crisis has given state and local elections officials new challenges to make sure our right to vote is protected. And now, ahead of one of the most important and challenging elections this state has seen, GPB News is launching this podcast to help make sense of it all. In theory, it has never been easier to vote in Georgia, but in reality, it has also never been easier to get confused or disheartened by very real problems that can hold people back from casting their ballot. In this first episode, we'll take a look at where we stand six weeks out from Election Day through different perspectives in the electoral process, from Georgia's top election official down to a frustrated Fulton County voter. I'm still trying to figure out what happened to me in 2017, because that's the biggest mystery still. You know, we still don't know. I still don't know what list did I end up on because I did everything right. Stacey Hopkins is a 56-year-old black woman who lives with her family in the Capitol View neighborhood of Atlanta, just south of a buzzing hive of government buildings and the state legislature. My occupation is, uh, I would say, activist, organizer, general hellraiser. Despite her knowledge of voting in politics, or maybe because of it, Georgia's election system has let her down multiple times in multiple ways starting in 2017. And I remember this. It was July 3rd. It was right before the 4th of July. Hopkins and her family had recently moved within Fulton County, so it wasn't surprising to get a postcard forwarded to her new address. So I look at them and the first line was like, you know, we have information you have moved. And I was like, yeah. But then she kept reading. If she did not respond to the card and send it to her local election official, her voter registration would be changed to inactive status. That would have been well and good, but we had all just voted in the last election that we were eligible in, which was, this was right before the Atlanta municipal elections. So we had just voted in College Park for the where we were staying for the last uh, election we were eligible in. 
Even though she moved within the same county and filed her change of address notice, Hopkins unintentionally set off a bureaucratic process and tended to cancel the voter registrations of people who have died or moved out of state. Except Stacy Hopkins was very much alive, very much a Fulton County resident, and now very frustrated with elections officials. That led me to this insane labyrinth between the counties and the states. You know, the county was saying it was the state's fault, which it was. Um, the state was trying to blame the counties. We didn't do it. They mailed it out. And it was like, but you told them to mail these notices out. You are the keepers of that list. The ACLU of Georgia sued the state on her behalf, leading to a settlement that would ensure other people who moved within their county would have their addresses automatically updated to avoid a similar fate. Two years later, a new voting system, a new secretary of state, and new problems on display during the June 9th primary have left a similar bad taste in her mouth about the state of elections in Georgia. It is so sad that we have reached to the point we could no longer trust not only our elected officials, but we can't even trust the systems of our democracy here in Georgia. That trust was put to the test in June and thrust Georgia into the national spotlight. In 2020, this morning, Georgia's Secretary of State's investigating reports of problems during the state's primary elections yesterday. Comes after people waited hours to cast their votes, some in the heat, some in the rain. Poll workers say voter machine malfunctions were to blame. For the state's chief election official, trust in the system has been tested by a global pandemic, a rapid increase in absentee voting, and the rollout of a new $104 million touchscreen voting system challenged both in court and the court of public opinion. I don't know if it's because I'm a small business owner or I'm an engineer, but both of them really make you, uh, the market requires you to be adaptable. You have to adjust. The market is never static. And obviously this year with COVID-19, the election process has not been static. We've had to really, you know, really adjust quickly and move quickly. The biggest challenge Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger thought he would be dealing with at the start of 2020 was making sure all of Georgia's 159 counties received more than 30,000 pieces of election equipment. Well, obviously, back in January, it was the rollout of the new equipment, brand new equipment, first time uh, that that has been done since 2002. And obviously, it was a lot faster than what happened in 2002. We had to give that up for the presidential primaries that we're going to have in March. Obviously, COVID has changed that a lot. Raffensperger delayed the primary twice, first to coincide with the May 19th general primary, then pushing both of those back to June 9th, and took the unprecedented step of mailing absentee ballot applications to 6.9 million active voters. More than a million Georgians voted by mail, at times overwhelming county elections offices with avalanches of both applications and the actual ballots. Voters in Georgia encountered major problems at the polls during Tuesday's primary. Many waited in line for hours due to a shortage of workers and issues with new voting machines. The day-to-day -day election process is run at the local level, but Raffensperger and his office act as a clearinghouse for guidance and instruction. The state election board, which Raffensperger chairs, also decided to allow secure drop boxes for voters to return absentee ballots and avoid human contact, and the state set up a grant program to help counties pay for them, pushing voters towards a safe way to vote in a pandemic. And then we've given the counties, you know, the data that they need. This is how many voters you have in your county. This is how many precincts you have. This is how many voters you have in each of those precincts. And this is the throughput you get with that machine. And then we can identify that this 
count this precinct right here. That's a green one. You shouldn't have any issues here. This one is a yellow. You're going to need either more equipment or you're going to have to think about, you know, redeploying some of those voters to other precincts. And if it come, shows up red, well, you have a really major problem. And if it, you have a black on it, that's danger. You know, Will Robbins pull up. It ain't gonna, it's not going to work. So you have to do something. After the June primary, where more than 20 counties had to stay open late because of problems with lines and the new voting machines, Raffensperger says it's ultimately his responsibility to make sure county officials have what they need to make things run smoothly. But Georgia had one of the better responses to the pandemic, Raffensperger argues, and he's confident that will continue for November, even as voters face issues with in-person early voting, absentee by mail, and of course, on Election Day. We give people three options, and that really gives us ultimate flexibility. Georgia reported problems with new voting machines and a shortage of experienced poll workers due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but some blame voter suppression tactics. Flexibility is one of the few things Bacon County Election Supervisor Ann Russell has been able to count on this year because of COVID-19. What I did differently was, yes, we were very blessed because we had just one polling place. And my polling place happens to be here at my office. So we didn't have to worry or struggle. The southeast Georgia County has about 6,700 registered voters and not enough space to set up its two dozen or so voting machines, according to social distancing guidelines. So for the primary, Russell had the county clear police cars from a garage behind the office and spread out check-in stations, voting machines, and scanners to help keep voters safe. Like everywhere else in the state, Bacon County was also overwhelmed by absentee ballots. For the 2016 presidential election, Russell counted 175 absentee-by-mail votes. Back in June, we counted, I think, almost 1,300 absentee ballots. So we've had to reinvent the wheel when it comes to our absentee ballots here in Bacon County. And I know every other county has had to do that as well. By the time you listen to this podcast, maybe you've given thought to when and how you'll vote. Maybe you've requested an absentee ballot or read about the preparations for the election. Well, Ann Russell wants you to know that on Election Day, the work starts well before the first vote is cast at 7 a.m. We just don't don't all just show up at 7 o'clock and say, "Okay, we're here. And then at 7 o'clock, "Okay, let's wrap it up and go home, first of all. Um, Like here in Bacon County, with the new voting equipment, um, my poll workers, I expect my poll workers to be here at 5 a.m. And like in June, we were here at 5 a.m. Me personally, I was here at 445 that morning. And um, I got up, I think, at 4 o'clock. And I did not walk out of here until I think 11 o'clock that night. And if you think elections start just before the first day of early voting, think again. And there's a whole lot more to it than just throwing up a voting machine and saying, "Okay, it's done. From qualifying candidates to appear on the ballot to proofing those ballots for accuracy, preparations often begin months in advance. We have to hire poll workers. We have to train poll workers. There's a whole list of things that we do. You would be amazed at the people that come in during early voting or even on Election Day that ask us, are y'all opened all year? Russell and the other 158 county election supervisors in Georgia are on the front lines of making sure our constitutional right to vote is safe, secure, and accessible, often with only a small staff and few resources. 
One of the most important tasks is training poll workers, especially on Georgia's new ballot marking device system that uses a touchscreen iPad to check voters in, a touchscreen to make selections, a printer to create the ballot, and a scanner that tabulates and stores your choice. We, we put a lot of hours into training here in Bacon County. And um, we did a lot of repetition. And we um, the state set us up a, um, a demo election. And um, we did several days of it where we just ran through that demo election. And I, I brought in all of my poll workers and I set them down and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. And um, after I'd gone through a little bit of training and shown them the machine and I threw them in the deep end and I said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to hold a mock election. The first trial went okay. The second was better, and by the end of February, Russell said her poll workers knew the system better than she did. But all the training in the world can't prepare you for a real-life election, as Decatur County poll manager Linda Salmon can tell you. But yes, we did have a few glitches, um, but um, thank goodness they were learning glitches. In June, she oversaw the Recovery Fire Department polling place in Bainbridge, which has about 600 active voters. But even with a handful of in-person voters, things went wrong. Well, the two major things that happened in the precinct I worked at was um, one of them had happened in one of the earlier elections, so we already knew basically how to work around it um, temporarily till we could get someone there to fix it. After checking in voters on an iPad, poll workers couldn't create the voter access cards that would then go into the ballot marking devices. The other problem was with the scanner. Five hours into um, the voting, um, our um, scanner went out and it would not let us scan the ballot, which is what actually cast the ballot. Um, So we had to go to the emergency ballot box and let the people actually put their um, ballot into that emergency box until Carol could come out to take a look at it. Carol heard the elections director drove several miles to come out and fix the scanner, and the rest of the day was uneventful. Linda Salmon first volunteered as a poll worker after a friend recruited her in 2008. I'd always thought that it was really important to vote, but I'd never thought about all of the work that goes on behind the scenes to make that happen. I realized, you know, how important it is to have people that are dedicated and um, how lucky, like in, at least in our county, we are to have those people that are willing to go through all the training. But I guess that was the beginning of feeling a real civic duty to do it. I mean, it's really a privilege to be able to do it. She's been through hours and hours and hours of training and feels encouraged by how many voters she works with that take their right to vote to heart, even in the middle of a global health crisis. But even if the state supports the counties and the counties properly train the poll workers, there are still voters like Stacey Hopkins who face challenges with voting in Georgia. I fill out three applications. I walk three applications down to Fulton County. I didn't mail them or anything. Only one person got their ballot in our household, and that was my daughter, which was great because this was her first time voting. She doesn't trust the new ballot marking devices with their large touchscreens and what she says is a considerable cost that's passed on to local elections officials. 
But Stacey Hopkins says it is imperative for you to cast your ballot this fall because of and in spite of the challenges she and others may face. All I care about is that you have the opportunity to have your say and to unilaterally disarm myself and other black and brown people from having their say, it sends a message to us that you really don't care. You just, you don't wanna hear what I have to say, what my neighbors have to say, what anyone has to say. And that sends a message that is so disheartening and so infuriating in this state. And hopefully, you know, we'll get it together, but I have to be honest, I don't think I'll live long enough to see that. In this podcast over the next several weeks, we're going to go on a journey through Georgia's election system and hear from experts and officials and ordinary people alike to detail some of the barriers to the ballot box, but more importantly, how those barriers can be overcome. This is not a series to scare you away from voting or to make you feel that your vote does not matter. This is also not a whitewash of the very real challenges that keep people from casting their ballot or the history of difficulties that make it harder for certain communities to participate in our fundamental right to vote. This is a chance to take control, to gain understanding, and to make a plan to make your voice be heard. I'm Stephen Fowler. This is Battleground Ballot Box, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. You can subscribe to our show at gpb.org or anywhere you get podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Our editor is Wayne Drash. Thanks for listening. <laughs>